what I am going to share, and I don't know how much I'll share here, but unity in the body of Christ was the, the, the title of my message. And I was probably going to get there today, but I'm just going to start with this little bit, and then I'll go into at least part of my message. As we talk about unity and the focus that was on evangelism and sharing this morning, there is nothing probably more important in evangelism for a church, other than the truth of the word of God, of course, than unity in the body of Christ. Unity. The world is always watching us. And churches have done a masterful job at just screwing it up. They don't call us hypocrites because it's a wrong charge or a false accusation most of the time. They have had so much hypocrisy demonstrated from the church over the years. The church has a terrible reputation. You know, why would, why would somebody from the world look at a church that's nothing but gossip and chaos and division, strife, all of that stuff? Why would they want that? I mean, it's sad, but I know even in the business world, and John and I have said this many times over the years, when I, back when I worked for Ralco and Sense, that you know, sometimes the hardest people to get along with in the business world are what? Christians. That's just not, just not ought to be, and it is. You know, there's a, uh, I don't know who said this. Um, it's been a number of weeks since I read it, but it was in regard to evangelism and missionary work. And it said, in the past, missionaries would go into an area, even in our own country, and they used the example of rice. And they would feed the people, feed them. They were hungry, so they would go into the areas, and they would feed the people the rice. And the rice was what opened the door then. The food was what opened the door for them to share the gospel. Well, the, the rice that's needed in our culture today are relationships, relationships. It's what the world is starving for. Good, honest relationships built on honesty and integrity and character and and, and the real deal. They're looking for the real thing. There is so much phony out there. And if the church wants to reach the world for Jesus Christ, we need to demonstrate relationships. We need to be building relationships. You know, as Larry exhorted us, you know what? This, we are the church, but the church is called to go out into the world. And it's great to gather together. The Bible's clear. We need each other. We need to come together to encourage one another, build one another up, pray together, worship together. There is power in all of these corporate things. But really, where we're going to do the most work in advancing the kingdom is not in here. I say this often. Get 200 people in here. I'm pretty sure there's some that have never truly accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we go out on the streets, I guarantee you the numbers are way higher. And that's where our opportunity to minister, to, to meet the people's needs. But we need to make sure that we are in right relationship. Unity, I'm talking about now, uh, in my message anyway, unity in the church, in the body of Christ, but unity in all of our relationships. Unity in our marriage. Everything that I talk about in unity in the church, we can apply it to personal relationships. Marriages are being attacked by the enemy, by the culture, Every, everywhere you look. And the enemy wants to destroy it because it is to represent to the world what? The relationship between the bridegroom and his church, between Jesus and the church. You know, God makes that metaphor over and over and over again. 
We need to see unity. We need to see unity in our homes, with our families, not just our spouses, but the entire family, and in the workplace and in church. So unity is a big deal. How many of you have Thanksgiving dinners, and there is so unbelievably much food on the table, by the time you get through, it looks like nobody started yet? That's how I feel with my message. There is so much here that I'm not going to share today. And Go ahead, say amen. <laughs> about unity. Last week, we talked about passion. And very briefly, I talked about how passion is a compelling force, and it should be a compelling force in our lives, that we need to be passionate about something. As Christians, the first and foremost thing we should be passionate about is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us, the message of the gospel. It should be a driving force in all of our lives. Now remember, and you know this better than I do, as well as I do, there are a million things in the world competing for your passion. And God's not, you know, he doesn't leave it open for debate. He just says, I'm the center. I want all of you. So we talked about compassion. I looked at a couple of scriptures in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do with all your heart as unto the Lord. Give it your all with fullness of of passion. In Romans 12.11, never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor. Don't be lacking in passion. Stir it up. It's not something that comes naturally. We have to, you know what? Some of you, believe it or not, were not born wearing a purple outfit screaming, Go Vikings or Skull. You weren't born that way. Matter of fact, we can deliver most of No. It took work. You, be, <laughs> oh, you, you don't even want me to start on the green and gold, do you? We start in deliverance and then we educate from there. Seriously, we become passionate about things over time as we focus on it, as we experience things. And to stay passionate, you need to stay involved. You need to stay in tune with what it is. Our, our passion for the Lord is no different. If you're going to be passionate, it takes some effort. And the good news is the Holy Spirit wants you to be passionate, and he's anxious to help us remain passionate, but we still have to make some choices, make some decisions. I talked about purpose. Purpose is what really one of the primary things that fuels our passion. You know, sometimes we don't do as good a job, I don't do as good a job as I should, of, you know, we want you to be passionate about the things of Victory Christian Church. And you go, yes. And then somebody says, what's your church about? And we go, well, I, uh, we've got good music. We've got a long-winded preacher. We've got a few, you know, if we don't know our purpose, the gospel message is our purpose. Glorifying God in all that we do is our purpose. You know, we grab that hold of that statement, helping people to discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. Discover who Jesus is. Discover who we are in Christ, the abundant life that Jesus died for. We need to help people, share the good news of the gospel, then disciple them. Give them them a realization that they have gifts. They have a purpose. They have a destiny. Give them opportunities to grow in that and serve, to be a part of, and all of a sudden purpose. So purpose is important to fuel a passion that we have. And then unity. And I kind of gave the last three minutes of my message last week on unity because I kept looking at the clock and saying, this is a Thanksgiving dinner and there's just too much on the table. 
And I'm looking at the clock and thinking I've got more notes on just unity than I had on all three last week. So we're going to just start this on unity today and, and uh, look to John chapter 17, verses 9 through 11 first. I mentioned this last week in passing, but the whole chapter 17 is a prayer of Jesus. And it looks like it's at the end of some teaching on that night at the last, what we call the Last Supper. And he's getting ready to walk out to the garden where he's going to get arrested, falsely accused, and eventually crucified. So this is like almost his last prayer. he He had a prayer in the garden, Father, if it be your will. He had a prayer on the cross, Father, forgive, for they know not what they do. But here he is, the night he's about to be betrayed and arrested, and he chooses to, to pray for the disciples because he's leaving. And not only for them, but for all who will become disciples because of what these, this small group of people are going to do in sharing the gospel. So in other words, he took that prayer for those 11 that were in the upper room with him after Judas left, and he's expanded it for all of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And here's what he said in verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Talking about the disciples. And he says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. I think a little bit more accurate translation is in Young's literal, literal translation. He says, all mine are yours, and all yours are mine. Making it clear that he's talking about all those that become disciples of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one, so that they may be in unity. And look at what he compares the unity that the church is supposed to have. Believers in Jesus Christ. He compares our unity with the unity between the Father and the Son. And I'll take the liberty to throw in the Holy Spirit. Now that's a high bar to jump over, isn't it? But that's what he says. Let them be one as we are one. I'm going to jump to verse 20 in chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. Now he's expanding it to you and me. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Notice that motivating tidbit that he throws on there at the end. That the world may know. Our being in unity demonstrates to the world that Jesus is really who he says he was. The Messiah, the sent one, the Savior of the world. That they may know that you and I are one. Let's see, where am I? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved me, them even as you have loved me. There is so much there for us. Jesus is interceding. He's praying for us. 2,000 years later, he, his prayer was for us. And he's still interceding. His job didn't end when he left earth. It says he's seated at the right hand of the Father doing what? 
interceding, praying for us. He's our advocate. He's still praying for unity in the church. Makes you wonder why there's such disunity in the church. And I want you to know, a little sidebar here, a pastor I looked up to and still do as a mentor said, Mike, preach on those issues when they're not an issue in your church. So I'm not preaching this. I don't want anybody to think that we've got a disunity thing going on. I believe we have been so blessed. God has protected us. There has been such unity in this body. But I believe as the days continue, it's going to, the, the temptation, the opportunity to be an offense or pick up an offense is going to do nothing but increase. The devil hates the church, and he especially hates a church that's got a passion and a purpose and is out doing what the Great Commission tells us to do. And, and we're going to have opportunities. Doors could be opened, but we're in a good place right now. Praise God for that. To be one as Jesus is with the Father. You know, often when we think about the unity that Jesus is talking about, you know, that they may be in unity, we kind of go into our natural mind thing, thinking, well, Jesus is saying, Lord, really, let's not have any fighting. Let's not there be any striving one against the other, competing. Let there not be any of that. God, let there not be any offenses that somebody picks up over some tidbit little thing over here. You know, let, let's not let them be offenses. That's, that's kind of how we have a tendency to think when we hear, let's be in unity. All of that's true, but it's so much bigger than that. Let us be in unity as the Father and the Son are in unity. Now, I can't even explain it, attempt to really explain all this Trinity thing. Three are one, yet there's, there's Jesus, that there, there's the Father, there's the Holy Spirit, but there's God, you know. We all understand that at least at a level, that the three are one. They're all God. So when he says, let them be in unity like we're in unity, let us be in unity with them, I, I don't believe he could possibly mean we're going to have the nature or the essence of God and Jesus. There are some things that you and I are never going to be even though we might be in unity with them. We're never going to be omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. You know, there are certain aspects, but there are aspects that are going to be the same or should be the same. Our unity should be one of affection, one of purpose, one of a direction and a plan, not of our essence or nature, really a unity of love. You know, love is, again, one of those things. We love everything, right? From spaghetti to pizza to fancy cars and a nice home and a good-looking girl. We love everything. Boy, have we destroyed the meaning of love in the New Testament. Love is the key to unity in the body of Christ. It is the key And it doesn't begin with you and me. It begins with the Holy Spirit in you and me. We cannot demonstrate the kind of unity that Jesus was praying for until we're born again. Because that kind of love, the depth of that love, the totality of that love isn't available anywhere but through God. God is love, right? The Bible's clear. God is love. If God is love, Jesus is love. The Holy Spirit is love. They are united in a love that we can't comprehend yet with our natural minds. 
But when that love is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, that love is deposited in us. It's demonstrated through the grace of God in our salvation. It's demonstrated when he gives a grace for us to believe by faith. And it's there always accessible. But we don't always access it. That's why, as I mentioned last week in passing, and I want to just reiterate right now, is unity is not something we can create, at least according to the scripture. It doesn't say create unity. What does it say? Preserve it. Preserve unity. It's already in me. It's already in my wife. We should be in unity. That's why we've never, ever, ever fought. I hope you can tell when I'm lying so I don't have to repent. But there are, it's there. It's there for us. It's unity that should be so strong in us that it's a, it's, it's a picture for us of the unchanging love of the Father for us. He loves us so much. And we should demonstrate that. It's so much more than just an absence of conflict. You know, we can just about put up with anything or anybody for a little while and there's not conflict. That doesn't mean we're in unity. And there are levels of unity, even amongst believers. You know, I've I've said this before. We can fellowship with anybody. We can share a certain level of commitment with just about anybody, but a few less. But if we're going to build and advance the kingdom, there are some essentials that we have to agree on, so we may not be in total unity with all believers. But there needs to be a unity that comes from love in the heart. Anybody ever try to take something off your Thanksgiving table that was your favorite? Let's see. There's a great example for us, and I'm not going to go there because I can't do it justice in a few minutes. So we're going to stop there. We'll get part two, Lord willing, next week. But I would encourage you to just look up unity in the concordance of your Bible and go to some of the scriptures in the New Testament that you can find. There's some scriptures in Acts that we'll look at. There's some scriptures in Ephesians uh, that we'll look at. Acts uh, 2, a couple different places. So we'll be looking at these things. But I just want to encourage you to be praying and asking the Lord by the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And are there things in our lives that are causing strife in relationships? I've said this before. I've said it to individuals. I think I've said it corporately. But nothing is, is, is disheartening. Well, that's too strong a word. It's very disheartening to know that there could be people or small groups or even family members within this body that are in great strife and division because it affects the whole body. Ask the Lord to show you who do you need to go to? Who do you need to go to 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 ask for forgiveness? Who do you need to go to to maybe accept their forgiveness that they've offered you and you just didn't say, no, I don't want anything to do with it. We want to get rid of that stuff in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be here. And you know and I know it's easy, and we'll talk about how easy next week. And there are so many obstacles to this kind of unity. But there's a solution. And we'll talk about that next week too, Lord willing. So let's close in prayer.
Lord, I thank you for everything. God, I thank you for the testimonies that were shared this morning. God, and I thank you for the many other testimonies, either from even just Friday night. But Lord, each one of us, each one of our lives is a testimony of the goodness of God, the grace of God. Lord, I thank you that you rescued us, that you've saved us. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, if they've never acknowledged their sin and accepted your sinless son's sacrifice on their behalf, I pray that you, by your spirit, would convict them, reveal yourself to them, that today would be the day they cry out and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for the praise you and thank you for the word of God that you've given us as a guide to how to live our lives. Lord, it's amazing to see what you say we can be because of the Holy Spirit living in us. Lord, I pray that the truths of who we are in Jesus Christ grow and grow and grow in each one of our lives that we don't listen to the voices of the world, we don't listen to the voices that have called us different things or told us how worthless or big of failures we are, that we would grab the truths of who we are in Jesus Christ, that we would be healthy in our own identities and we could bring to others, help them to discover and experience the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we go our separate ways now, you watch over us, keep us safe, God, I pray for those divine opportunities outside the walls of this building to share the hope that's in us, the good news of Jesus. We ask this in your son's precious name. Amen.